Good morning, everyone. Please find Romans chapter 5 in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Romans 5, 1 and 2 today. We're going to see three reasons to rejoice that are found there. It's good to be with you to open up God's Word. And I know that none of us live with blinders on. And I know that we live in a world that gives a lot of reasons not to rejoice. Uh, instead, you might find yourself downcast. You have uh, internal turmoil, let's say, over all sorts of things, broken relationships and shattered dreams and unmet expectations and the like. But there's also external conflict that would make us downcast. Maybe, maybe people have hurt your feelings, uh, inappropriately shared opinions, kind of lashing out at you, uh, difficult hardships that you go through in life, and um, scary stuff that's happening in the world, in, in our country or in the world. Think of this, uh, 17 in Florida, Orlando, 49, Vegas, 59, yesterday, 22 dead in Spain, the French, the France attack, 137, 9-11, thousands, 33 dead in the bombing in Libya on January 23rd, and the list goes on, countless others, and it's easy to get downcast, is it not? Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and much, much more, and so all buildup, I think, can cause our souls to get downcast. The psalmist even asks the question to himself, to his own soul, why are you downcast, O my soul? And then he answers. He gives a, 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 a glimmer of hope. He says, hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. I'm going to praise him. There, there's this hope in the midst of so many reasons to be downcast. We can rejoice, not just in the future, not just far out into the future of a future hope of rejoicing, but today. That if you find your soul downcast today, you can rejoice in Christ because of the grace of God. So if you're able, I want you to take your Bibles, and I'm going to read Romans 5. 1 through 11. I want to ask you to stand if you're able. We're looking at two verses today, but over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at all 11 of these verses where Paul focuses on the benefits of justification and how we can find so many reasons to be upset and downcast in life, but because of God's grace, we rejoice in Christ. We have so many reasons to rejoice. And we're going to see the first three today. But let me read this first. This is the word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, 
And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And Lord, thank you for your word. We, we want to keep on reading. We thank you for how great you are, how amazing your love is, and thank you for your grace. We pray, Lord, you'd open our hearts to receive your word today, that we would see wonderful things in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Reasons to rejoice. What reasons do we have to rejoice in Christ? It is linked as we see here, to what happens when God declares a person right with him through faith in Christ. Romans chapter 3 and 4 have taught us this. It details our new status of righteous, and we enjoy in in Christ by faith alone this this grace of God. And and, and chapter 4 doesn't end Paul's talk about justification, by the way. Um, We're going to see the second half of chapter 5, he dives down deep again in justification and what it means to be righteous in God's sight. But I love these first 11 verses of chapter 5 because what it is is kind of like a, a parenthesis of sorts where Paul basically pauses in the middle of teaching on justification and he literally just celebrates. He, he pauses in the middle and celebrates what it means to be declared righteous in Christ, what it means for us. The tone changes. He starts saying we. Did you notice that? It's very, very personal. And he's saying, look at all the blessings, look at all the benefits of justification. Like, you know, press pause and just celebrate the sheer goodness of God's grace in Christ. This is what is going on here. And I think if you've got a pulse you get swept up in the excitement as you read this. You're like, wow, I'm compelled to rejoice. Look at all the reasons there are to rejoice in Christ. Wow, look how awesome justification is. Wow, it's like holding up a prize. Like, look what I found. This is so amazing. It's like Paul has been, you know, down deep in in the depths of the ocean of God's glory and he's explaining justification and he comes to the surface and he comes up for air and he just relishes for a few moments the magnificent grace and reconciliation that we have in Christ. It's It's like he's saying, download all this right now. 
Get this. This is how sweet it is to know Jesus. This is how sweet it is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a prelude. There's a preamble to Romans 8. And we dare not underappreciate it. We dare not pass it by. He stops to describe the good news benefits. Uh, it's a theme of hope-filled rejoicing in Christ that we see in these verses. But the first thing we see and we need to grasp before we see the reasons to rejoice is the cause of our rejoicing. Why we even are able to rejoice. And it's in verse 1. Look at verse 1, Romans 5, verse 1. It begins, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, I want you first to think about the magnitude of that therefore. Uh, this is the biggest therefore in the Bible. It is built upon all of Romans chapters 1 through 4. It's not just big, it's gargantuan. It's magnanimous. It is hyper everything that is good about God. It is beyond comprehension. Therefore, since we, now remember, Paul's getting very personal here. He says we, we have been. It is a settled fact. It's already happened. What happened? Justified by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that instantaneous legal declaration that you know, Romans 1 and 2 were building up to as we were seeing God's, um, God's wrath being poured out on man's depravity, we were seeing mankind's depravity really on into chapter 3, the universal sin of mankind. And you can't get to the good stuff until you realize there's bad stuff. God's deliverance though, his, his salvation appears and it's like a diamond on black velvet. It is so brilliant, it is so beautiful, it is so beyond comprehension. It had been promised, it had been provided, it is now protected, and not because of anything we did, but because of what Christ did at the cross. Paul says, having been justified. One-time legal declaration that has eternal results. It is not a process of justification. It is a point in time when, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, you are declared righteous in God's sight. You're made right. You are justified. It was done to you by or through faith, the vehicle, faith, the instrument of justification. Uh, the nature of faith is that it is a gift of God. It's a, that's why we call it a God-centered faith. And the cause of our rejoicing is that we have been justified by faith in Christ. This is the big doctrine that leads us to rejoice in Christ. And so Paul gives several reasons why we can rejoice. And he's saying, uh, therefore, since we have already been justified by faith at a specific point in time, it already happened, here are some of the benefits of justification. Here are our reasons to rejoice. First reason. In verse 1, first reason to rejoice. Because we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The result of justification. And we have this peace. We 
possess this peace. We live in the reality of this peace. We have a changed identity in Christ. You're a believer. You have a changed identity. You have peace with God. It is very personal. It's, it's very devotional here. It's very experiential here. He says we have this. It's not, we're not talking about other people here. We're talking about people who believe in the Lord Jesus, our new reality in Christ. It's a reason to rejoice. This is the only time, by the way, in the Bible that the phrase peace with God is used. You never see it anywhere else in the Bible. It's the only time peace with God is seen. But of course, peace with God is a Bible idea. That phrase is only found here. Isaiah 26.3, God will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Isaiah 54, verse 3, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be your peace. Promising this peace. It's the Old Testament idea of shalom, peace. It means to be complete. It means to be sound. It means to have full, 100% welfare all the time for eternity. The New Testament word is erene. It means no war. The absence of war reconciled for all time. It's an eternal thing. So we are no longer at war with God when we are in Christ. If you are in Christ now, if you're a believer, you are no longer at war with God. But there's another part of that that I think we sometimes miss. It's easy to say, well, yeah, I've got peace with God. I used to be at war with him, but he's awesome, and he was always awesome towards me. And, you know, you go up to people and you say, God loves you, right? The idea here is that we are no longer at war with God, and he is no longer at war with us. You're like, whoa, whoa, no one ever told me that God was at war with me at any time. I mean, I don't think you're going to go home today and knock on your neighbor's door and say, I want to tell you something because I love you so much. God's at war with you. Or, you know, uh, God hates you. God's angry with you. God's wrath is upon you. I don't, I'm not sure that you're going to do that this afternoon. But we are no longer at war with God, and he is no longer at war with us. This peace with God is synonymous with salvation. So if you have salvation in Christ, you have peace with God. It, it is the foundation of every blessing we have in Christ. But we cannot grasp the full weight of this peace unless we grasp what our relationship to our creator was like before we knew Jesus. It was, according to the Bible, an all-out war. An all-out two-sided war. Because, again, contrary to public opinion, popular opinion, God's attitude towards people who are outside of Christ is not kindness and toleration. That's not what the Bible shows us. Yes, God is good even to his enemies, right? He is his common grace. Uh, he, he gives rain and sunshine to everyone. But his attitude towards unrepentant sinners is actually hostility and hatred. Now, next week we're going to look at suffering. And we would say this. We'd say, well, I know it's true. I just don't like it. Okay, And I think it's okay to say, I realize what we're talking about with the wrath of God. I know it's true. I just don't like it. But what you need to understand is if you don't understand wrath and hate, you can't understand love and mercy. Because it's just a one-sided thing that has no counterbalance. The Bible tells us very clearly God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. 
The idea there, being opposed, is that he comes against the, the proud as with an army. So God is coming against the proud, opposed as their adversary, any who are rejecting him. Now, you don't want God as your opponent, but many people have him as their opponent. You want God to be your ally, but there's only one way for that to happen, and it's through the peace that Jesus made through the blood of his cross. You don't come to God in any other way and receive forgiveness and pardon and acceptance. We've seen in Romans already that no one seeks God apart from grace, that his anger is literally directed at anyone not in Christ. Psalm 7 is a good place to, if you want to look later on this, you can look at Psalm 7, verses 12 and 13. It speaks of God like as an archer, okay, archery, all right? And his bow is aimed at sinners. And he, it says that he's going to release the full fury of his wrath against people who remain opposed to him. That doesn't sound very friendly, does it? Now the prophets knew. The Old Testament prophets knew that God was at war with Israel because of its sin. There were continual warnings of the consequences. The exile was foreshadowing an eternal judgment to any who reject God's rightful rule. And so that's why Jeremiah 13, 16 says, Give glory to the Lord before he brings darkness. That's why Ezekiel 21 says, exalt, He's going to exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. And then this, A ruin, 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 I will make it. This is triple seriousness of God's wrath. And the idea that you, you need to grasp, and no one told me this when I became a believer, okay? I didn't hear this till after I started reading the Bible, okay? Um, God was at war with you before your justification. You're like, whoa, whoa, they told me that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Well, I tell people all the time that Jesus loves them. I don't really go around telling people and knocking them upside the head with, hey, God is at war with you. But biblically speaking, this is the truth. God declared himself at war with every human because of their sinful rebellion against him and his word. You see it all the way through the Bible. We just choose to to, uh, read the uplifting parts, right? Exodus 22, 24, my wrath will burn. Deuteronomy 32, 21, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. A fire is kindled with my anger. Psalm 7, 11, God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. And John 3, 36, same chapter that we see John 3, 16. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Woo! Awesome. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. It doesn't end there. It says, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's the anger of God. Now, the prophets foresaw something else. They saw something else into the future that God had had shown them. It was a great day of salvation when God would save his people and bring them shalom, peace, and rule them by his anointed king. Uh, Isaiah is, is all about this. This all-encompassing shalom. It's this state of complete and permanent well-being. So when you say you have peace with God because of Jesus, you have a state of complete and permanent well-being. Now, a lot of people get worried about the wrath. They're like, I just don't want to hear about the wrath. Please quit talking about the wrath. Mark this down, okay? You need to understand this. God is so loving and merciful 
God is so loving and merciful and kind. God is so loving, merciful, and kind and gracious to take the just wrath against sin out of the way. This is what he has done in Christ. We read back in Romans 1.18, right after we saw a beautiful synopsis of the gospel, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And this is the gospel that Paul was not ashamed of. In, in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? One of the reasons he's not ashamed of the gospel is because it deals with wrath, and it saves us from it. So in, in chapter 5, verse 1, he is saying the same thing just in a different way by saying we have peace with God. Without justification, without what has been done for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no peace with God and man. Martin Lloyd-Jones spoke of this and basically says, you know, we always want to forget about this part. We, we, mankind, he says, is always very ready to forget it. He says that this is why so many bypass the Lord Jesus Christ and all his work. Why so many pray to God without ever mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ. They see no need of him. They say God is love and they believe they can go to God directly just as they are. That is a complete denial of the Christian faith. It is the result of the failure to see that there is no peace between them and God, even from God's side, and that the wrath of God is upon them because of their ungodliness and unrighteousness. The idea that we need to grasp is that before there could be peace between God and man, and man and God, something had to happen to the wrath of God. We know what happened. We have read it in Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read it again. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 26. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, what appeases his wrath, by his blood. This is why we are so Uh, fixed on the shed blood of Christ. This is why we are so excited about the resurrection of Christ. It says that he was a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in in his divine forbearance, in his patience, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. We know what happened. This is how God can forgive a sinner and remain perfectly just and righteous. God sent his son into the world, a propitiation for our sins. He laid our sins upon him. He poured out his wrath against sin on Jesus. This is why God can look upon you who are in Christ with favor, with love, with pardon, with mercy, with forgiveness. Jesus, and we had just read this at the end of chapter four, was delivered for our our trespasses, our sins, our offenses, and raised again for our justification. So as far as God is concerned, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus and you trusted in his finished work on the cross, the wrath is no longer there. This is good news. This is is smiling news. Uh, He is at peace with all who believe in Jesus. 
God, in Christ, God gives you a new heart. No longer do you vainly imagine that God is like some tyrant up in heaven pointing the finger at you, ready to zap you if you get out of line. No, he is a loving heavenly father willing to go to great lengths to rescue you. This is what he did. And he dealt with all the causes of the war. And so there is reconciliation. There is peace with God. Communion between God and man. Uh, lost in the fall has been reestablished in Christ. Colossians 1.21 says, You were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You are reconciled to God in Christ. Your war with God is over forever. If you're a Christian, that is your reality. And peace with God, as verse one tells us, is through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the the arbiter of this. He's the representative of this. Jesus Christ, who Ephesians 2.14 says, is our peace the one who was wounded for our transgressions, the one who in our place as our substitute was crushed for our sins, on him the chastisement fell that brought us peace. This peace with God. And it is not a subjective feeling. What you need to understand is if you're a Christian, this is not a subjective feeling. This is an objective fact. That you can revel in this truth, that you can bask in the beauty of this truth. This is a pure gospel truth for you. You have peace with God. Greek, Irene, uh, Hebrew, shalom. This peace can never be lost. This peace with God. Jesus didn't like call a fragile ceasefire like, uh-oh, hostilities might break out at any moment. No, you are safe in Christ. He has given you peace that can never be lost. If you are in Christ, you will never be his enemy again. You are his friend. He is your friend. So the enemies that were deserving of wrath now enjoy the blessings of friendship with God. Some things about this that we've just got to, we've got to remind ourselves about. God is not angry with you anymore. I think if you think As a Christian, if you think that God is always angry at you, you need to repent of the sin of thinking that God's discipline is his anger. His loving fatherly discipline is not his anger over you for your sins. Your sins were dealt with at the cross. All your sins, every one of them, the ones we're most ashamed of. Nothing can assault the peace that God gives you as his child when you come to him by faith. Your feelings will ebb and flow, but this fact, oh, this fact remains. You have peace with God. And before we move on to the next point, I need to also say that God still wars against the one who wars against him. If this is you today, and you are fighting God with all your might, he is fighting you as well. Now, 
The Bible is very clear about this. He draws us to himself by mercy and grace and kindness and love. But I think, I think that if, if believers understood more what it means to have peace with God, they would rush to make peace with anyone on earth that they might be at odds with. Because they would grasp the idea of the lasting peace that God has given. And I think that if unbelievers had a glimpse and knew their true condition, they would literally fall on their faces and scream out for mercy and beg for mercy from God. Do you have peace with God today? This is the question for you. Do you have peace with God today? This is not about your feelings. This is about an objective standing before God. If you have been forgiven and declared righteous by faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. And it passes, the Bible tells us, all understanding. It goes beyond all your understanding. You don't grasp it as well as you should, but you know it. You know it's true. It's like, I know it's true, but I don't always feel it. So reason number one to rejoice, because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Number two, second reason to rejoice, we have access to grace. We have access to grace. Do you see that in verse two? Through, whom, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Well, now we have access to a king. Uh, free entrance into the presence of royalty. This is like you have the cell number of a celebrity who happens to become your best friend and no one believes it, but you can text them anytime you want. And what this emphasizes, this access by grace, is a present ongoing condition that you have because of a past action that took place. The past action was you were justified by faith in, in the past, and it always stands and you have ongoing, continual access to God's grace, and you continue to live in the realm of God's grace. It's the idea of power for living right now. That, that you are assured. Now, Romans 14 deals with something that is very common among people, judging people, okay? And in there, in Romans 14, 4, it says, who are you to judge the servant of another? And it's talking about believers judging each other wrongly, okay? Who are you to judge the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands, same idea, or falls. And it says he will stand, he will be upheld because the Lord is able to make him stand. We are saved by grace, we live by grace. Now 1 Corinthians 10, 12 tells us, in a warning, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So don't be prideful, but be humbly dependent on God. But I know what happens in all of our lives. It's, it's easy, isn't it, is it not, to get disillusioned in our, in our Christian life and, and, and really underappreciate how privileged we are in Christ, how loved you are, how accepted you are, how cherished you are, how cared for you are. You might know some people that are, you know, maybe someone in your life that always criticizes you. And so sometimes you, you start thinking, well, God is criticizing me too. But I want you to think back to when you first became a Christian. Because this disillusionment that we get and sometimes sets in can really flavor us in the wrong way. But think about when you first became a Christian. You were so blown away by the grace of God. You were so excited that God in his goodness had saved you and forgave you. You were clinging to the cross. You were uh, clinging to the finished work of Christ. You told everyone you knew about Jesus because you were so excited to tell everyone about what he has done. And you wanted them to know Jesus too. And you wanted them to become a believer and grow in him. 
But then things began to cool off a bit. You don't even know when it started, but the love, the, 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 the closeness you were feeling even, you, you hit the apogee point. That, that, the, the engines leveled off and, and seemed to kind of shut down, and this euphoric sense of anti-gravity was gone. And you felt like you were falling back to earth, about to come crashing down. And basically, reality hit for you in the, in the Christian life, and you realized, this is not a vacation all the time. This is hard. You came to a drop-off point, an inflection point. You went from momentum to a lack of momentum. It's like when you're going out of John Wayne Airport, and they, they, they climb steep right away, then what do they do? They cut the engines. I remember the first time I did that, I'm like, ooh, this is scary. Did, did everything just shut off? And so you start wondering about your salvation. You start going, wait a minute, was that real? Is God in it for the long haul with me? Is he going to cut me from the team? And, and hopefully you came out of it, even with, through the fear and anxiety, with a renewed sense of assurance and security because God keeps his promises. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I am with you always. The one who comes to me I will never cast out. And you learned painfully how to walk with Jesus and brothers and sisters in Christ helped you figure out what, what this life in Christ is all about and you began to walk by faith, not by sight and you could repent of your sins and confess your sins and have gratitude and have love and, and it was by the indwelling spirit of God as you constantly dwelled on his word and you learned that God still loves you and that he always will, and that you were saved by grace, and you stand by God's grace. This is, this is what we're talking about here. This is what Paul is talking about here. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand right now. Right now in the Christian life, with all its hardships, with all its ebbs and flows and ups and downs, and all the things that come at you, you stand and I just want to say, beloved brothers and sisters, I want to say something to you. If, if you're wondering about how God really thinks of you, I want you to know he is not criticizing you. He is comforting you in Christ by his great love. He smiles at you. He, he rejoices over you. You're like, me with all my failings? Yes, you're, you're not in Christ because of your good behavior. You're not kept in Christ because of your good behavior. And sure, you want to please him, and I, and I know you fall too. So do I. But he has given you free access by faith into this grace in which you stand. Let's think about this for a few moments. Let's go a little deeper on that. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 Talk about the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. I love it. It's first, the, the, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. So rule here is this present thing that's active. It's an imperative. And it means let the peace of Christ rule as an umpire in your life. Baseball. Okay? Uh, the, the, the peace of Christ gives the final answer in the midst of all your internal conflicts and all your disputes and differences with other people, and, and you should never do anything to violate that peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
So as you're standing by grace and you know you have peace with God, you want to have peace with other people. Your peace with God enables your peace with other people. And it says be thankful. Be grateful for the peace that Christ gives. That's an incentive to preserve it. You know what gratitude does? What thankfulness does? It fosters unity in a church. It fosters peace in a church. Think about the church for a moment. This is we. He's talking about we, and it's plural we. It's, it's, it's people in a local assembly of believers such as us. We're in the local church, which is an expression of Christ's work. And it is tremendously significant that one of the things we do as fellow believers with each other is help each other care as much about our relationship with God as we should. We keep reminding each other how important and how awesome Jesus is. And then Colossians 3.16, let's stay there for just a moment. It says, let the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ, that's the, the gospel message, the, the Bible, and let it dwell in you richly. That means to let it have ample room in your life. Let it become a precious treasure, a rich treasure that remains in your life. And, and it's like it's the idea of be doers of the word. That you let it become so deeply ingrained in your life that it governs all your thoughts and your choices as you stand by grace, as you walk by faith, not by sight. You know what that means? Walk by faith, not by sight? Live your life guided by the word of God. That's your compass. In every situation of life, you would ask, what does the word of God say? And you trust the spirit of God to lead you. And, and you say, what did, how does what Jesus did at the cross transform this situation I'm in? Because access by, by grace, access to grace, leads you to feed on Christ and scripture all the time as you're standing by grace, as you're continuing in the faith. So you, you have breakfast and you got your Bible there too. And you eat lunch and you're dwelling on the Lord. And, and you have dinner and you say, I want to be devoted to God and open up the word. You're eating a snack and you think, I, I got a great savior. And you want to worship him. You want to bring people around you into worship so that they, they worship him with all their life in, in every place that they find themselves. You want to know him more. You love him. So you want to work his word into your life, and, and you want to trust the Spirit. So you continue in the faith. Uh, in fact, in Colossians 1, verse 21, it says that he has reconciled us. I read this before. And he wants to present us holy and blameless before him, above reproach. Then Colossians 1, 23 says, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And the idea here, and the second reason to rejoice, is access to grace is that we stand, we continue to live now in Christ by God's enabling grace. First, first reason to rejoice is we have peace with God. The second reason is we have access to grace. The peace with God is in the past and it's settled and it's eternal. The, you got three, the three tenses of salvation here is what you have. Second reason to rejoice, we have access to grace right now in the present. And the third reason to rejoice, it's the future, we have hope of the glory of God. And in verse two it says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is one of the most um, prominent emphases of the Christian life, that ours is a present future hope. 
the, the promise is realized and not yet. Something amazing has happened, though. Think about it. Those who have rejected God's glory, Romans 1, and fallen short of it, Romans 3, are promised a future experience of it, all by God's grace. God tells us the, the glory that we are experiencing and going to experience is a gift of God's grace. That phrase of God, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, that tells us that it's a gift of God's grace. You see it all the way through Romans chapter eight. It's an end times reality that we get to experience in part now but not yet fully possessed in the present. It's the already but not yet nature. We're righteous in God's sight. We enjoy the covenant of peace. We stand in the gift of grace. But the fully realized promise of salvation has not been fully realized yet in our life. We, we wait for future glorification and, and moral perfection in the presence of God and restoration to the glory that Adam lost in the fall is our hope. The hope of God's glory. What I want to tell you is the hope of God's glory is a sure thing. Take that bet. It's not you wanting to experience it, but wondering if you, if you might or if you might miss it. This is like infinity percent certain this will be given to you. Greater glory than Adam had even because we will be conformed to the image of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. And deeply ingrained in this passage, it's, it's the preeminence of Christ. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, through Christ, we have access to Grace. And it's like the glory of God and the preeminence of Christ are shouting to us in this passage, saying, notice and worship with all your hearts. I love the first person pronoun, we. We rejoice, literally we exult. It's not a word we use all the time, but exult, E-X-U-L-T, exult. What does it mean to rejoice or to exult? It literally means to rejoice a lot, rejoice greatly, uh, to be jubilant, and to be triumphant. It literally means to leap upwards for joy, like you literally jump out of your chair. And if I had hops still, I would show you, but you'll have to like, watch the NBA dunk contest or something from yesterday to actually see what that looks like, okay? Um, it's like when you get great news. The doctor tells you, a clean bill of health. Been through all these treatments, and the doctor says, you're looking good. Or let's say you're, you're, um, you're wanting to be married, and you, you, you uh, propose, and, and, and she says yes to the ring to marry you. Um, or, or you're going for the job, and you get the job that you want. You're just excited. Or, or even in the silly things, like your team scores, and we just like jump out of our seats, do we not? And your heart leaps. You might leap out of your chair. You might jump in the air. It's literally what it means to exult. Now, I'm not asking you to all jump out of your chairs right now, but my hope today is that you would know the sweetness of what it means to rejoice in Christ. A Christian always has reason to rejoice because we always are at peace with God and we always have access to God's grace and we always have a future hope of glory. These things cannot be taken away from us. There are so many things in life we don't know what we should do, right? I don't know if I should work here or there. I don't know if I should marry this person or that. Should I buy this or that? Should I do this or that? But 
isn't it awesome when you know for sure there's something you should do? It is God's will for you to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You can be 100% certain this is absolutely God's will for you. And I know life is hard, but it is also joyful. God pursues us with a relentless love that will not let us go. He blesses us with joy. Even at a funeral. Have you noticed that before? You're at a funeral of a beloved believer and he blesses you with joy. You hear the gospel. You hear the family praising the glories of God's grace. You hear them thanking God for the life of their loved one who loved Jesus so much. And you stand there exulting. You stand there rejoicing. I did that Friday. I I literally stood at a at Fairhaven, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God at, at Kim Durflinger's mom's celebration of life. We, we sang all the stanzas of amazing grace, even this one. And when this flesh and heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. I rejoiced. We sang, great is thy faithfulness, pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today. Access to grace. And bright hope for tomorrow. Hope of the glory of God. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. My heart leapt for joy. Morning by morning, new mercies you see of God's faithfulness. I love Lamentations chapter three. Right after great is your faithfulness, the next verse Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore, I have hope in him. I have hope in him. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, that we see your glory in the gospel story. Through Christ's death and resurrection for sinners. Thank you, Lord, that when the gospel is preached, what shines is the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Thank you, Lord, that the glory of Christ that we see in the gospel is your glory. And we exult in hope of Christ, of seeing Jesus, of being with Jesus and dwelling in his presence forever. Thank you, Lord, that because of your grace, we rejoice in Christ We have peace, we have access, we have hope. We thank you, Lord, that your glory is the greatest thing. We thank you, Lord, that nothing is better. Greatness of joy beyond all comprehension. And we praise you for so many reasons to rejoice. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.